So this morning, we're going to continue with this series, Life with Jesus. We're kind of going through the book of Matthew, and we're going to actually, by Easter time, we'll finish the entire book of Matthew. You will have read through it, I'm sure, since I give you homework every week. You should have read for this week, Matthew, the end of chapter 39 to the end of chapter 10. And so you've now read all through 10 chapters of Matthew, and we're getting a picture of what life with Jesus looked like for the disciples, and hopefully kind of understanding a little bit more of what life with Jesus looks like for us in the 21st century. Uh, these two words, I think, came out to me as I read. They're not necessarily used in this passage, this chapter, but these two words are what came out to me as to what life with Jesus means for the disciples who Jesus was actually talking to, but for us as well, as we believe Jesus, through God's word, is speaking to us as 21st century followers of Jesus. Life with him still includes, still involves faithfulness and fidelity. And we're going to define those words uh, but first, uh, Matthew's going to kind of segue from what we've just read. If you were here last week, um, you and I went through Matthew 8 and 9, which was basically a slice of life with Jesus. We got to read about blind people seeing, people who were demon-possessed being freed of those demons, people who were crippled walking again. A little girl who was dead being raised back to life. It was some pretty amazing stuff that we witnessed. That the disciples were actually witnessing with Jesus. Prior to that was this Matthew 5 through 7 was Jesus' teaching. What life with him looks like in this kingdom. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7. You read through that. And it's all about what, what are we supposed to live like if we're doing life with Jesus. He's teaching his disciples that. They got to see the authority through the word, his spoken word, his authority through his actions. And now Matthew's going to segue here to what the disciples are going to have to do. So he says, Matthew 9, 35, this is Jesus speaking, or Jesus will speak to the disciples here. But Jesus went through all the towns and villages we saw a map last week of all the places he was going, teaching in their synagogues. He was proclaiming the good news. We were hearing that. Matthew 5 through 7 was talking about that. Matthew 4 said he was doing that. And last week, we were seeing the healing of every disease and sickness. Matthew just kind of summarized everything we've read up to this point. Hearing Jesus teach this stuff, seeing Jesus do these things. And then Jesus says, when he saw the crowds, he said he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus is concerned with these giant crowds that are beginning to follow him. And he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You guys are seeing the brokenness in the world. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Matthew 10, Jesus is going to do that. Uh, Matthew 10 begins Jesus's 
bringing the disciples together. If you've read it, I'm not going to read all of it for you, but if you've read it, you were introduced to all 12 disciples. From what we've been reading, we were only introduced to Peter and Andrew, James and John, and of course Matthew, as Matthew was called. Matthew 10, we get introduced to all 12. And now all 12 of these disciples, and if you read Luke, there's more. The Gospel of Luke, there's more are going to do exactly what Jesus did. He's going to send them out to do the exact same ministry. And what you read as you read through Matthew 10 is what Jesus is calling them to. Life with Jesus means faithfulness and fidelity. That's what he's calling them to. If you're going to be a follower of mine, he's going to literally send them on a missionary journey, but then he's going to talk to them about what life with him just looks like as a follower. And what you read, I think, as you read all of Matthew 10, is two words that become very apparent as to what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Faithfulness and fidelity. Now, that word faithfulness defined how Jesus is using it here is actually uh, being taken from verse 22, where it talks about standing firm. Literally, it's, it, it means to endure. That's what the, the word is that's being used there. He's, he's calling his disciples to endure, to endure something. What is that something? Or he's going to tell them what that something is. This faithfulness that Jesus is talking about, what life with him looks like, is maintaining one's loyalty to the very end. Your allegiance to this person to the very end or persevering for as long as may be necessary. And fidelity is talking about a faithfulness to this person, loyalty, allegiance to this person, cause, or belief, demonstrated by continuing that loyalty and support, really no matter the opposition, no matter what you're faced with. And these two things are going to be essential for ministry, for life with Jesus as Jesus prepares his disciples to hear and listen to. And what I'm suggesting to you in 21st century Christian life, doesn't matter if you're living in Schuylkill Haven, Pennsylvania, or if you're living in Europe, you're living in India, you're living in China, doesn't matter. If you're a follower of Jesus, these two aspects are still required to do life with him. Now, Chapter 10, verse 1 through 4 is introducing us to the disciples. The very guys are about to do the same ministry Jesus did. Verse 5 through 15, just to give you some context of what's happening, Jesus is actually instructing them about the mission trip they're about to take, that they're going to go on. He's saying, you're going to do this. Here's the instructions for this trip. And part of Bible reading and understanding the Bible is, do those things apply directly to us? When Jesus says uh, to don't take any gold or silver or your money bag with you, does that mean when we do ministry, we shouldn't take that stuff with us? That's part of interpreting what the scriptures are saying. That portion, 5 through 15, Jesus is specifically talking to these 12 guys who are about to do this. Verse 16 through 36 is kind of expanding what mission and ministry is going to look like for everybody. Because some of the things that Jesus references is not going to actually take place 
when the disciples take this missionary journey. It's going to happen later. It's going to happen afterwards, after Jesus is gone. And actually it happens all the time to people who follow Jesus. And then he ends that with verse 37 through 42, talking about this word that I use as fidelity or allegiance, loyalty to Jesus. Now, I made this comment, and I can't remember where I made this comment, but I've said it multiple times, and I know I've just said it recently, but I've heard people say, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament seems angry and mean, and the God of the New Testament seems really nice and, like, friendly. Uh, and, and he's just looking for people to give a hug to. Now, Jesus did that. He was really nice and friendly and did touch people, even people that had leprosy. But if you think these two gods are different, then you've not read Matthew chapter 10, because Matthew chapter 10, if you've read it, I'm not going to ask you if you have. If you haven't, go home and read it. Jesus is not mincing any words here about life with him and what it means to reject his message. In fact, Matthew's already been giving us little teasers of the growing opposition to Jesus. Remember when he healed that person and he said about forgiving their sins? And the Pharisees were like, who are you to say you can forgive sins? That's blasphemy. They were telling Jesus he was blaspheming. Punishable by stoning. And then they got really mad at him because he was casting out demons. And he says, well, you're just doing this in the power of Beelzebul. That was the name they used. It's really just talking about Satan. And Matthew's giving us these little teasers of this growing opposition to Jesus and his message. And Jesus, in chapter 10, as he gets his disciples ready to go out, doesn't mince any words about what they're headed into, what rejection of his message means, and the kind of faithfulness and fidelity he's looking for. So they've just watched Jesus do all this, and now Jesus says, you're going to do it. Verse 1 of chapter 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples to, to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness, and he was calling them to proclaim the good news. The very things you guys just watch me do, you're going to go and do it now. And he has some specific instructions for them, and he just starts drawing on some of the things that he said. He's telling them to go to the Jews. Now, we know Jesus' mission was beyond just the Jews, but to the Jew and Gentile, to the very ends of the earth. But specifically in this section, Jesus is trying to go to the lost sheep of Israel. That's what he told the disciples, and now he's telling them to go do that. So the map that I showed you the last couple weeks, now the disciples are going to go all around there, and they're going to start doing the same thing that Jesus did to primarily Jewish audience. And you're going to speak, you're going to proclaim the good news, you're going to share this message that I just shared with you. So all the stuff we've read from chapter 4 till now, that's what the disciples are going to start sharing. You know, Matthew 5 through 7, that Sermon on the Mount piece, they're going to be telling other people that. They're going to go into synagogues and say those same things. And in fact, Jesus is giving them authority to, when a person possessed by demon it comes before you, cast them out. When that blind person comes before you, heal them. That's what Jesus is telling these disciples they're going to do for this mission trip they're about to take. And he says, you're going to be traveling a lot 
travel lightly. Don't carry a lot. And so he actually talks to them about where they're going to find their food and where they're going to find their housing. And they can probably start hearing Jesus in chapter 6 of Matthew when he talks about don't worry. See how the birds of the air are cared for? See how God cares for them? God's going to take care of you. See how the flowers of the field and how beautiful they are? God's going to take care of you. And so the disciples are actually being challenged to live this out. Remember that one disciple that came and uh, Jesus, they said they wanted to follow Jesus and Jesus challenged them on that. And they said, first, let me go bury my, my mother and father. And, and Jesus says, uh, he has no home. That he has no place to lay his head. This is what discipleship looks like. And now he's telling this to his disciples. They're actually going to start living out the very things Jesus was teaching them. So Matthew 5 through 15, Jesus gives them instructions for this missionary journey they're about to take. And then he says about the message they're proclaiming. They're going to proclaim it, they're going to speak it, and they're going to do things to show this authority. And Jesus doesn't mince any words as he concludes his instructions. Verse 14 of chapter 10, If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words... As you go to town to town, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking now. If you have a Bible that has Jesus' words in red, this would be in red. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. So Jesus has some pretty tough words to say here. Uh, I'm not sure how you kind of... Um, tweak what he's saying here, how you soften what he's saying here. Does, if you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it wasn't a good place to live. And it especially wasn't a good place to live when Lot was there and God had decided to judge that, those two towns for their unrighteousness. And if you found yourself in Sodom and Gomorrah in that time in Genesis, you can read that story. You got some fire rained down upon you and it was destroyed. The whole town was destroyed. So Jesus is drawing this comparison with the very towns the disciples are going into. And he uses this again in the towns that he visited. It'd be better if you lived in Sodom and Gomorrah than if you reject the message that I'm bringing, Jesus is saying, and that my disciples are bringing. So these are some tough words by Jesus that we've got to put together with everything Jesus said and did, but we can't extract them from everything Jesus said and did. To reject Jesus and to reject his message will end in destruction. That is what Jesus is saying. And this destruction is even worse than the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. This has eternal consequences. That's what Jesus is saying here. Those towns that reject you are actually rejecting me. They're actually rejecting the Messiah God has sent. And be better if they had lived in Sodom and Gomorrah than if they lived in that town and reject this message of salvation that is coming through Jesus. Why would you want to reject such good news? It is good news. And yet these towns do. People do. And that's not new. 
people do now. Entire civilizations reject the message of Jesus. Jesus is telling these disciples, Jesus is telling us, this has eternal consequences. The mission we're on is a really important one. Because it doesn't just involve the here and now, the material world in which we find ourselves. It actually involves eternity. It's a serious business we're a part of. This is a serious mission you guys are going to be going on because of these eternal consequences. It hasn't changed. Rejecting Jesus and his message ends in destruction, and that message goes forth through Jesus' people. And so Jesus is kind of setting the disciples up here for this moment. In verse 16, we get this transition where Jesus says, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. He used that same imagery in Matthew 7, and that's how Jesus is sending them out. In verse 16, I don't have it on the screen for you, but if you're following along in your Bible, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And then comes the rally speech. They're about to go. You know, you got to get these people excited about going on mission with Jesus, Now, they just watched something super exciting. Jesus wouldn't have had to say anything here. I mean, imagine following Jesus around, and he is teaching with, I mean, whatever he's saying, it is is capturing people. He's an amazing teacher. But not just that, you just saw him heal people, raise people from the dead. This crippled guy just got up and started walking. And now Jesus is telling us we're going to do this. This is awesome. We're about to be on this amazing trip and journey. And here's Jesus' rally speech. This is what he says first. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to local councils and you're going to be flogged in synagogues. Now, if you don't know what flogging is, it's not good. If I was getting people excited about following Jesus, I wouldn't start with, hey, guys, Get ready to go out there and get flogged. All right, let's go. Jesus' rallying speech doesn't get any better from that point. Hey, guys, get ready. He could have said nothing, and they would have been excited. They just watched all these amazing things. But instead, the rally speech is, get ready. You're going to be flogged. You're going to be arrested. You'll be betrayed by family, betrayed by friends. You'll be the outcast In fact, if that's not bad enough, verse 22, you will be hated by everyone because of me. Okay, thanks for killing the mood, Jesus. Everyone is going to hate you because of me. And he concludes that with, but the one who stands firm, that word faithful that we're using, The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So Jesus is highlighting for his followers what they can expect. Matthew was giving us the teaser because it's about to happen to Jesus. Things with Jesus are going to start changing. We're still going to see some amazing things happen. But there's going to be growing opposition to him. And all of us know the story. That that opposition is so intense 
an innocent man is executed. By Good Friday, that's where we're at with the rejection of Jesus and his message. And Jesus is telling his followers, if they did it to me, they're going to do it to you too. Are you still excited to go out there and follow? And he's reminding them, because of the difficulties of it, you will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's verse 22. And he says, when you're persecuted in one place, flee to the other place. And in that other place, start sharing the good news. Start proclaiming the kingdom has come. Start healing. Start loving in word and deed. That's the mission you're on. Now, this doesn't happen on their first missionary journey. In fact, they're super excited and pumped because even the demons are subject to us, they say to Jesus. What Jesus is talking about here, he's looking at what's to come. Jesus knows where he's headed. And each of these disciples experiences this in some way, shape, or form in their life as well. And then if you read the book of Acts, you start seeing it in the church. And if you just open a magazine, open the news, get alerts on your phone, whatever, it, it's still happening today. This is what life with Jesus looks like. That's why Jesus is calling them to faithfulness and fidelity. He knows there's going to be reasons for giving up. But those who endure to the end will be saved. There's going to be hardships that you're going to experience. But if you remain faithful to me, I'll remain faithful to you. He says that in another way in Matthew chapter 10. So the rally speech to rally the troops, I'm not sure how excited they were at this point. Maybe the spiritual high that they were on after just watching Jesus kept them moving. They went on this missionary journey. And as I said, they didn't experience these things, but later they would. And followers of Jesus doing life with Jesus, which still demands faithfulness and fidelity, does experience these same kinds of things. In fact, once again... Jesus is presenting himself as kind of like a black and white situation here. There isn't any nuance to the fidelity he's calling for, the loyalty, the allegiance to him that he's calling for. And we've got to put this Jesus that is kind and compassionate and nice and cares about the poor and the Jesus we think is very loving, that same Jesus is saying things like, Matthew 10, 34, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the very members of his household. In fact, if you're following along in your Bible, verse 37 says, whoever acknowledges me or verse 37 says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me 
is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me, that's, that's a death sentence, is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. That's Jesus' big speech to his disciples about what life with him looks like. Now he's talking about prioritizing him above all else. And it's not that he wants us to get angry with our mom and dad and fight with them. It's not that he wants us to get angry with our sons or daughters and fight with them or our friends and fight with them, that idea of bringing the sword. What he is saying is, simply because of what you believe and because you love me, this is going to happen. He said it in his preparation speech, mother will turn against daughter, father will turn against son. In fact, children will actually turn their parents in to authorities for believing what they believe. Now this happens every day all over the world. Maybe it hasn't happened to you. But I've met with those people, I've prayed with those people in those countries like India, like Nepal, where because of what they believe, their family has disowned them. They're not allowed to go back to their mom or dad's house. Not because they were bad children. In fact, when they come to Jesus, many of them become model children. But they're rejected because of what they believe. This message that Jesus has brought, this good news of salvation in him, that the kingdom has come. Repent and believe. Sometimes I think we lose sight of what Jesus is calling us to. The kind of allegiance he's looking for from his followers. The kinds of things he's preparing us for that we're going to have to endure to the very end. Now what I didn't read for you, and if you've read it, you will know this. Jesus says in verse 26 uh, through 31, and 32 is a part of this as well, three, on three different occasions, Jesus says, so do not be afraid. So do not be afraid. So do not be afraid. Not even a sparrow falls on the ground without God's knowledge of it. Remember that little bird, that sparrow was used in Matthew 6 about worrying about our provisions of life and Jesus uses the sparrow as God provides for them, won't he provide for you? Again, Jesus uses this same imagery. When you face all of this, when you face this opposition, don't think for a moment your Father in heaven doesn't see you. When that friend stops talking to you because of what you believe, when you can't go back to your mom or dad's house because of what you believe, when you're sitting in that jail because of what you believe, when people stop talking to you because of what you believe, don't think for a moment that God doesn't see you, that God doesn't know your pain, your suffering. In fact, your Father in heaven knows you so well that he has the very numbers of hair on your head counted. 
that's easier for him for some of you than others. But nonetheless, the little peach fuzz on your head, he knows all about that too. The intimate details of your life, God sees and knows. So as you go out, don't think for a second you're out there alone. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Jesus says. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. This is that endure peace, that faithfulness peace. It might get tough. It might be difficult. But endure to the end. How are you prioritizing your allegiance to Jesus? Is he priority number one? Anyone who loves their father or mother before me is not worthy of me, Jesus says. This is the challenge I want to make to us. Now, I just had this in my own life. I wasn't actually ever not going to come to church and finish the floor. But you know how easy it would have been for me to do that if I wasn't involved in, you know, leading this whole thing on a Sunday morning? Jesus is asking us to prioritize him above all else. That's a pretty steep call that Jesus is making, but I don't think I can nuance that in a way that excuses non-loyalty to him. This is a challenge for 21st century American Christianity. Allegiance to Jesus means we make him priority number one. He asks for nothing less. If you read it in Luke, Luke kind of uses the word hate. Again, that's not like I hate my parents. It's talking about where our priorities lie. Because these decisions, our acceptance of him and his message has eternal implications. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 10, don't fear the one that can destroy the body, fear the one that can destroy body and soul. Let's not be terrified of God because he can do that. Otherwise, why would Jesus say, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid in the midst of that comment? It's recognizing who God is and the eternal consequences of embracing this message are not embracing it. There are eternal consequences to this. We should never lose sight of that. You're embracing the message of Jesus, doing life with Jesus now, and faithfulness and fidelity to him now has eternal consequences. And what he's calling us to as 21st century Christians living in the United States of America is enduring, maintaining loyalty to the end in face of whatever ever opposition comes our way. And even continuing our allegiance to him when it becomes unpopular. Now, I want to close with just a couple of statements about the unpopularness of this message. What Jesus is talking about too, if I take what Jesus says and apply it to today, 
I understand Jesus and his message through this. We call it the Bible. Life with Jesus, my ability to know what life with Jesus looks like, is a direct result of me reading it in the Bible. There are entire denominations who have turned their back on the Bible. There are people who profess to believe in Jesus that do not believe that this is true. Are we willing to maintain our allegiance to Jesus even in the midst of being called bigots, racists, hypocrites, being homophobic, transphobic? You name the derogatory statement about believing what we believe. Maybe you haven't lost friends or family over this. Maybe you have. I don't know. I know I'm unpopular with some people because of what I believe. Sometimes it gets hard to continue to proclaim and profess this message of Jesus, which includes marriages between a man and a woman which includes there are only two biological sexes, male and female. Saying stuff like that, we're looked at as being crazy and saying, actually, it's worse than that. We're looked at as being hateful. Now, this is all part of what we believe because we believe this to be true about how God has revealed himself to the world and how he has created us. It's becoming unpopular. Jesus is calling us to the same faithfulness and fidelity in our context as he called the 12 disciples to in their context. I can't change what Jesus is saying here. I can't change. I'm simply trying to be faithful to what the scriptures reveal about life and in this world. Maybe you saw the most recent article that I've, saw, that I've seen was uh, about a week ago, this, maybe the beginning of the, this past week. There was an, a memorandum that went out through the FBI offices in our capital talking about monitoring specific Roman Catholic churches because of extreme ideology that is held in those particular churches. You know, things like I've just mentioned, marriage, what it means to be human, human sexuality, what it means to have worth and value as a human being and why putting children on hormone, hormone blockers and giving them drugs for that is wrong. The United States government in Washington, D.C. said we need to watch those people. Now, it's kind of blown up. They've tried to retract some of that. But that's what's being said out there. If you haven't noticed, and I'm not trying to give us some kind of scare tactic here. I'm simply observing what I'm seeing within the culture I find myself. And if you haven't noticed, opposition to things we believe are increasing, are growing. And Jesus isn't telling his disciples, nor is he telling us to go along to get along. In verse 27, it says, "'What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight.'" What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. The message I'm giving you, you're not to keep to yourself. 
This light you're, you're supposed to shine, remember, don't put it under a bush. Don't put it under a bowl. It's supposed to go everywhere. The message that we have is supposed to be proclaimed everywhere we go. Question is, does Jesus have our loyalty and allegiance? Have we prioritized him in our life? And are we willing to endure to the very end? Jesus was preparing his disciples for opposition. Praise God, um, we're not being flogged because of what we believe. Um, we've not been arrested yet, although there are people who have been arrested. I told you about the lady who was standing outside an abortion clinic in the United Kingdom uh, who was praying in her head silently, and they arrested her. And as I just said most recently, uh, the FBI in Alexandria, Virginia is sending out memorandum about watching uh, certain churches because of what they believe. Jesus is calling us, and I, and I just want to end by challenging us as 21st century Christians living in the United States of America and Pennsylvania and Schuylkill County. Jesus is calling us, just as he called his disciples, to faithfulness to this message that we proclaim and allegiance to him. Now, we don't proclaim that with guns and knives or a sword. We actually proclaim that in word and in deed, just like the disciples did. He's calling us to do that as soon as you walk out these doors. He's preparing us for what to expect, and he's telling us these have eternal consequences. And we're called to make him priority number one in our life. So as we go out today, as we go back into that world Jesus has called us into, may we do that with faithfulness and fidelity to his message, to continuing to do the work and the deeds that Jesus has called us to do, to do that faithfully and to endure to the very end. Let's pray. God, these words that Jesus speaks to his disciples and as we hear today are challenging. God, as we know that we face opposition to this message, I, I do pray, Lord, that you would challenge our hearts. I'm not pretending like it's not hard to hear that it's not hard to listen to, that it's not super easy just to give our loyalty and allegiance to Jesus when we think about what he's called us to, what he's asking of us. But Jesus reminds us that this has eternal consequences in our life. And actually, at the very moment we think we're losing our life, we are gaining life. And Jesus has reminded us, don't be afraid. When they reject you, don't be afraid. When there's opposition, don't be afraid. When you think you're forgotten about, when everyone hates you because of me, Jesus says, do not be afraid. God, I pray this morning 
that as we've been challenged by your word, that we would indeed give our lives back to you, God, that we would make you priority, that we would give you all of our allegiance and loyalty, Lord God, that we would follow you wholeheartedly, and that as a result of that, God, we might see more people find life. The very moment they think, think they're losing life, they find it in Jesus. God, may we give you our entire being, all of our hearts, that we can follow you faithfully and with fidelity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.